All right. It is Sunday, July 18, and uh, we are just about finished with Daniel 11. So I anticipate we're probably two or three three weeks away from from completing Daniel as uh, as a whole, and then uh, we'll we'll take a break. And uh, before we do that, though, since uh, most everybody is here, uh, we've you know as we do as we go along, we accumulate uh, some dollars in the Serving Church Fellowship Treasury, and right now we probably have. Uh, four or $500 or so. And what we do is usually when we get to a point of uh, certain point, we like to disperse those. And so uh, like to hear from you where we might like to put those dollars to another ministry or organization. Typically we've uh, uh, given Sherwood Bible church a little bit, Although we haven't been meeting there <laughs> for a year <laughs> so, and a half, for a year and a half, um, neither is anyone else, <laughs> and neither is anyone else. That, that's correct. So, uh, well, do we um, do we have any idea um, what what the greatest needs are coming out of um, the pandemic? Um, you know, because I think we've blessed some other ministries before, too. Um, I think we've blessed AVC, but other ones. And but I'm not aware I, of what. Yeah, coming out of the pandemic, I really don't have my finger on the pulse. Uh, Brenda probably has a better idea of those. Yeah, that I'm not that we so sure either, with. to be honest. I'm not yeah. so sure either. Well. Tell you what, give it so some thought. We nothing we, yeah, yeah, <laughs> nothing we yeah. have to decide today. But give it some thought, and then we'll, uh, before we break uh, for the summer, we'll we'll make a decision. Okay. Um, I know, okay. I do know because of Heather's work with um, the uh, Modesto, um, the um, what's the Bethany chapter, Christian honey? Services. Bethany Christian Services that they are trying to deal with the illegal children and get them placed in foster care. Um, I, I know that that is one, um, probably one heightened ministry right now. Um, but I, but maybe you and Brenda could kind of look yeah, at, we'll, uh, we'll watch it over the next two or three weeks and just keep it uh, in the back of your mind. Yeah, I, don't, I don't want to be irresponsible here, but what if we, Oh, run to Las Vegas and double that money. <laughs> Thank you, John, That's for good. that. Yeah, appreciate your input. I agree with John. <laughs> yeah, Ann agrees with John. Okay, all right. So we got two votes that direction. Okay. All right. Well, well let's uh, let's jump into our our study today. Uh, we're going to transition from verse thirty-five. Remember uh, things that are in our past. To verse 36, which transports us, I like to call it, into a time warp that takes us into the eschatological future, the, uh, the end times future, and the rise of the Antichrist. Now, to be fair, there's a school of thought. There are some people that believe that verses 36 and beyond refer to Antiochus the Fourth Epiphanes, uh, who we've just studied. Obviously, in the past, since he died in 164 BC. Uh, but we do need to take it's an interpretive qualified. position here, just like we uh, just like we took with Revelation. And so I'm gonna I lean towards Dr. David Hawking, the Dallas Theological Seminary uh, professors and and most commentators that I respect who believe very confidently that verses 36 and beyond refer to the Antichrist, not to Antiochus Epiphanes. There are some crossovers, and we've talked about that before, that Antiochus Epiphanes is a foreshadowing of the, uh, of the Antichrist, but not exactly. And so we, uh, we'll, we'll take the, the root here or the interpretive branch that verses 36 through 45 are talking about 
uh, the future. And speaking of, of Dr. Hawking and Dr. John Walvoord uh, as well would adopt that position. Here's what, uh, and it's, it's a quick paragraph. Here's what Dr. Hawking uh, says in summation of the su subject here. And I like the way he frames it. He writes this, up to Daniel 11.35, the events have already happened. However, at verse 36, the events are still in the future. Many people think this is still talking about the past breakup of the empire of Alexander the Great. I have three reasons for believing otherwise. Even Jewish commentators think there is a break between verses 35 and 36. The differences are too noticeable and it is common in prophecy to do that. The things up to that point are all historical events. They can be proven with accuracy from history. All of this has been fulfilled in the battles between the Seleucids and the Egyptians as they constantly came across the land of Israel. It's part of the indignation of God against his people Israel. It's part of the times of the Gentiles, which began in 586 BC and is still existing today. The Temple Mount, for example, is still under control of the Gentiles. And then he says, however, in verse 36, nothing in history co corresponds to this section. Nothing. He says, it's amusing to read commentators who are very accurate up to this point but they speak in general from terms, uh, in terms from uh, verse 36 on. And then he ends by saying the description of the Antichrist and other portions of the Bible correspond exactly to what is described here. These statements and phrases are even quoted in those passages dealing with the Antichrist. So, uh, again, I think there's plenty of evidence uh, that we can pretty safely adopt the viewpoint that verses 36 to 45 are about the future, the end times, and describe not Antiochus Epiphanes, uh, but the Antichrist himself. Okay? All right, so let's jump in. Verse 36, Daniel 11. Here we go. Time to enter the time warp. The king will do as he pleases, exalting himself and claiming to be greater than every god, even blaspheming the god of gods. He will succeed, but only until the time of wrath is completed. For what has been determined will surely take place. He will have no respect for the gods of his ancestors or for the God loved by women or for any other God, for he will boast that he is greater than them all. Instead of these, he will worship the God of fortresses, a God his ancestors never knew, and lavish on him gold, silver, precious stones, and expensive gifts. Claiming this foreign God's help, he will attack the strongest fortresses. He will honor those who would submit to him, appointing them to positions of authority and dividing the land among them as their reward. So there's uh, the first three verses there, 36 to 39. It's an apt description, I think, of the Antichrist, who rises, remember, with the aid of his false prophet, and at the instigation of the enemy, the dragon, the devil. And because of all that, the Antichrist becomes the one world leader. Uh, he's under no one's human authority. He is the authority. There's no other authority but his own. So remember the first three and a half years, he comes in as a peacemaker. He appears to be uh, creating and uh, negotiating peace treaties all over the world, especially with Israel. And then in the second three and a half years, all those treaties go out the window, and he goes back on his treaty with Israel as well. And he's revealed to be this murderous, egotistic deceiver and destroyer and, and blasphemer. I want to go back just to remind us of his entrance in Revelation 13. Uh, because we need to be reminded of what he looks like as he begins to appear. Then I saw a beast rising up out of the sea. It had seven heads and ten horns, with ten crowns on its horns. And written on each head were names that blasphemed God. The beast looked like a leopard, but it had the feet of a bear and the mouth of a lion. And the dragon, that's the devil, 
gave the beast his own power and throne and great authority. I saw that one of the heads of the beast seemed wounded beyond recovery, but the fatal wound was healed. That's the Antichrist appearing to be killed and then rising again. The whole world marveled at this miracle and gave allegiance to the beast. They worshiped the dragon for giving the beast such power, and they also worshiped the beast. Who is as great as the beast? They exclaimed. Who is able to fight against him? And then the beast was allowed to speak great blasphemies against God, and he was given authority to do whatever he wanted for 42 months. Do the quick math. You know what that is. And he spoke terrible words of blasphemy against God, slandering his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. And the beast was allowed to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And he was given authority to rule over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all the people who belong to this world worshiped the beast. They are the ones whose names were not written in the book of life that belongs to the lamb who was slaughtered before the world was made. All right, so that's just a reminder of his uh, rise to power. Now let's look at some important clarifications and details in verses 36 to 39. I had some immediate questions, and I, I suppose you do as well. It says, the king will do as he pleases, exalting himself, claiming to be greater than every god, even blaspheming the god of gods. He will succeed, but only until the time of wrath is completed. For what has been determined will surely take place. He will have no respect for the gods of his ancestors. Now, what does that mean in verse 37? He will have no respect for the gods of his ancestors. Some people use this verse to argue that the Antichrist is Jewish. That what's being talked about here is the Jewish God, Yahweh, and the God of Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jacob, that he will have no respect for the gods of his ancestors. The problem here is that the beast or the Antichrist rises up out of the sea of humanity. He doesn't rise out of Israel. And he's the final governing power of the Roman world. He comes from a Roman uh, governing position, as it was known then, meaning that he is a Gentile. He's not Jewish, probably European. He shows no regard, the Antichrist does. He shows no regard for any previous religions, none, regardless of what they might be. He sets himself up as his own God, if you will remember, as the God of the world. And remember, the false prophet is in charge for campaigning for all the world to worship the Antichrist as the God of all gods, the God of all, the one God of the world. Right? So when they say he's no respect for the gods of his ancestors, they're talking about he has no respect for any religion at all, including uh, the, the God of the Hebrews. And then here's an interesting phrase. He will have no respect for the gods of his ancestors or for the God loved by women. Anybody have an inkling yeah. on what that means? Interesting. The reference here likely is to the Messiah the God of Israel and the likelihood, and there's more than a likelihood, we know that many young Jewish women wondered if they might be the one who would bear the Messiah. And so when verse 37 says, for the God loved by women, it's not that the translation suffers a little bit. It's, it's the Jewish women entertaining the thought and for them what what a what a uh, an amazing privilege to carry the messiah and so that's what that is referring to uh, a, a fairly common desire by um by the jewish women young young jewish girls that that, that they would be the mother of the messiah okay but they're still looking to do that 
And they are, yes, exactly right, right. So the reference here likely, uh, again, is to the God of Israel and the Jewish women who would love to carry uh, the Messiah. All right. So we'll have no respect for the gods of his ancestors or for the God loved by women or for any other God, for he will boast that he is greater than them all. Instead of these, he will worship the God of fortresses, a God his ancestors never knew, and lavish on him gold, silver, precious stones, and expensive gifts. Who is this God of fortresses? A God his ancestors never knew. Well, the God of fortresses is a um, simile for great military power. In other words, uh, to be a god of fortresses means to have the, the great military power to build forces, fortresses and to also breach them uh, as well. And uh, the likes of which the world has never seen will be this military power. And where does that come from? It comes from the dragon, right? That power and authority, that might, that, that, that military might comes from the devil himself. And so uh, a god his ancestors never knew probably refers to the evil one himself. So claiming so it wouldn't this, be China, it wouldn't be referring to China. No, no, this is referring okay. to military might, uh, his, his military power that was rooted in and given to him by the devil himself. Remember who is in, in, in Revelation, the dragon. Yeah, this is not a nation. Uh, this is the evil one who ironically given him great military power. You know, you think of the dragon as associated with, um, you know, China as well. Well, it, in Chinese lore, we do. But here, remember, we're dealing with Middle Eastern lore, not not Eastern. Yeah, right. Remember, so the, the context of the dragon and the bear and the leopard, all of that comes from uh, a Middle Eastern viewpoint in, in Revelation. So, yeah, good connection, uh, but it's a different, different dragon. Okay, so claiming this, uh, verse 39, claiming this foreign God's help, he will attack the strongest fortresses. He will honor those who submit to him, appointing them to positions of authority and dividing the land among them as their reward. So the Antichrist rewards those who submit to him, and he puts them in high positions. Uh, of course, we see that a lot in politics yeah. today. That's nothing <laughs> new, is it? no <laughs> right. we're seeing it right now yeah exactly so here we see the, <laughs> the here here we see the timeline building up to the climax of the antichrist rule and his authority and then as you may recall he deceives the other great world leaders into attacking him remember that ruse um he he deceived uh, many world powers into thinking that, gee, if, if the, the Antichrist is so powerful, if we can come attack him and subdue him and take over, we can be the one world leader. So the Antichrist allows this to foment in the minds of the world leaders. And remember, so they all start to converge on the Middle East, thinking we're going to do away with the Antichrist. And the Antichrist is sitting there going, exactly as I planned, why does he want all the world leaders staging in the Middle East? Because he knows, uh, because of the evil one, he knows that Jesus Christ is coming back. And in his uh egocentric and narcissistic perspectives he thinks that he can defeat jesus christ by having the world's armies there so his intent is let's get them here thinking that they can subdue me and when i get them here i'm going to turn them all against 
Jesus Christ, because he'll be the one to beat, not me. And, uh, and so that it's actually a very ingenious, uh, ingenious strategy. Uh, so, all right, let's go on to uh, verse 40. We're cooking with gas here. We're doing, we're going to finish Daniel 11 today. I can't believe it. All right, verse 40. Then at the time of the end, the king of the south will attack the king of the north. The king of the north will storm out with chariots, charioteers, and a vast navy. He will invade various lands and sweep through them like a flood. He will enter the glorious land of Israel, and many nations will fall, but Moab, Edom, and the best part of Ammon will escape. He will conquer many countries, and even Egypt will not escape. He will gain control over the gold, silver, and treasures of Egypt, and the Libyans and Ethiopians uh, will be his servants. Some of the translations there uh, um, say the Nubians, same same people group but then the news from the east and the north will alarm him and he will set out in great anger to destroy and obliterate many he will stop between the glorious holy mountain and the sea and will pitch his royal tents but while he is there his time will suddenly run out and no one will help him okay so what we see here remember we have paused the uh uh the daniel clock that ended at the 69 weeks or the 69 years. Remember, there's a pause that we're in right now. And then uh, either at the end of the tribulation period or during the tribulation period, that clock starts again, and we enter the 70th week of, of Daniel. And generally, and I don't want to get too technical here, but I lean towards the interpretation that the first half of the 70th week um, is the uh, first half of the tribulation period. It doesn't affect my faith one way or the other, and it probably doesn't matter what I think, but it's an interesting, uh, interesting thought. Doesn't really matter, but I thought I'd, I'd throw, there out, uh, throw that out. Remember that we think in decades, deca. We think in terms of decades. We think in terms of groups of 10. The Hebrews thought in groups of seven or heptads. So when we're talking about the 70th week, uh, we're talking about groups of seven, not, not groups of, of 10. All right, so the, just as a reminder, we had that big discussion a while back. The challenge at the end of Daniel 11 is identifying who these kings are. Who's the king of the south? Who's the king of the north? Who are these forces that are coming in from the east? To unpack that in great detail, to draw the parallels, to connect all the dots, we'd actually have to start our study of Ezekiel now, which we're not going to do. So we'll do that later. Uh, but let, let me just summarize Ezekiel by saying what I'm going to be talking about here in terms of identifying who the kings of the north and south and the forces from the east are, that is all drawn from the book of Ezekiel. All right, so um, we will at some point, maybe after our break, we'll get into Ezekiel and we'll, we'll connect those dots then. If we tried to do it now, we'd be here another two years uh, before we okay. finish Daniel 11, okay? All right, so who is, let's start, who, who is the king of the south? Well, the, that force dates back to our study, remember, of our previous passages of Daniel 11, where the king of the south is identified as the king of Egypt, uh, if you remember the, the Ptolemies there and such. So for the purposes of our end times discussions, that probably not only includes Egypt, but the African continent led by Egypt as well. I'm going to put up, and I, John, I apologize. You're obviously not going to see it, but I'm going to put up a, um, a world map here. Here we go. Can everybody see that? Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, hold on. Hold on. Um, okay. Yep. 
Okay. okay. Yeah. All right. So when we talk about the King of the North, again, we have to go back to Ezekiel, which talks about uh, reaching up into the, the farthest northern parts of what was known as the known world. All right. Can you see my cursor down here circling around Libya? Yeah. Can you uh -huh. see that? Okay. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to bring it to the east. It's now at Israel. See here, Israel? Yeah. Okay. Now, this map is designed, the, the longitudinal lines are pretty much running north to south. So I'm going to take my cursor, and Ezekiel talks about these forces from the northern uh, parts of the world. I'm going to go straight up. So we're passing through Turkey. We're passing through the Black Sea. We're passing through the Black Sea, Ukraine. Wow, look at what we're passing by. Moscow. And where are we? Russia. And when we run out of land, we're still in Russia. That's the Arctic Sea up here. All right, so if you draw a line north from Israel, ultimately you're looking at Russia. And when we think of the Ukraine and, and some of those uh, uh, European countries um, that are west of Russia, and especially as you look at some of the, the that are east, uh, you can see how many of them may be brought into these battles. But Russia, unmistakably, is that people group mass north of Israel. As you run out of real estate and hit the ocean, it's Russia, big time. Now, there are some um, in Western, uh, there are some linguistic arguments. And again, I, I don't go too deep into this, but there are some linguistic arguments about the root of the word Russia being referred to in Ezekiel 20, uh, 38, 2 and 39, 1. And the name is Rosh, not, not Roshni, uh, but Rosh, R-O-S-H. And here's the quote. And you only find this in some of the translations. Uh, I'm going to read here from the New King James Version. Son of man, again, I'm reading from Ezekiel. Son of man, set your face against Gog the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshech, and Tubal, and prophesy against him. And you only find that, that name Rosh in some of the translations here. But again, there are some who uh, believe that Rosh is a linguistic great-great-grandfather, so to speak, of the word Russia. Can't prove it. It may be, may not, but it, it's an interesting point. What you can't argue is that you go north from Israel and the biggest people group you get in terms of a political identity is Russia. And then you run out of real estate and you hit the Arctic Ocean. Okay, so king of the north, Russia, Russia. All right, now what about, uh, so we've identified the king of the, the south. Look at my cursor here. King of the South is Egypt. And uh, let me see if I can grab a, a real-time map here. Hang on. Uh, all right, here we go. Okay, you see this map? All yes. right. Yep. See Egypt wow. here, right? Okay, so Egypt is the king of the south. However, it's probably also, in, in the times we're talking about, the end times, going to include a lot of the African countries. Look at Sudan right beneath it, Ethiopia down here, Somalia, Kenya. Uh, again, Sudan, here we have Libya up here. Uh, so Egypt most likely is going to carry a lot of the uh, a lot of the uh, African countries that we would recognize. And um, 
So ju just to identify, King of the North, Russia, King of the South, Egypt, and probably a lot of these, uh, a lot of these African nations. Now I'm going to move the map a little bit. Uh, Israel is on our far left over here. Okay. All right. Where my cursor is, there's Israel. Now, what about the Euphrates River and what happens on the Euphrates River? What about these forces from the east? What is, what is scripture talking about? I want to go back to Revelation 16, 12, real quick. Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great Euphrates River and dried it up so the kings from the east could march their armies toward the west without hindrance. All right, so here's my cursor with Israel. If you see my cursor here, that's the Euphrates River. All right, here's Iraq. All right, if you remember, Baghdad is along the Euphrates River. So the Euphrates is running through Iraq, through Syria, up into Turkey. Okay. So the Euphrates River really is the boundary between the Middle East, which is west of the Euphrates River, and the Orient, or the East, which is east of the Euphrates River. So when we talk about the Middle East, generally we're talking about those countries on the west side of the Euphrates River in terms of the end times, and the East or the Orient are those countries east of the Euphrates River. So God is going to dry up the Euphrates River. And so the East, the, this Eastern coalition of forces, who are they going to be exactly? Well, uh, generally, uh, Eastern portions of Iraq, Syria, and Turkey. All right. Here's Iraq. Syria is over here. So it's Iraq at the bottom. If you think of Iraq being at six o'clock on a clock, Syria is about three o'clock. Uh, Turkey takes us up to what, 10 or 11 o'clock. Uh, so we have Iraq, Syria, and uh, Turkey. And then coming back south, all of Iran. And perhaps... Uh, a couple of these other countries like uh, Turkmenistan, even Afghanistan, Pakistan, um, look at northern <laughs> India, that's probably going to be part of it. And then there's this big piece of real estate on the east. It's called China. So if you draw a line from Israel, now remember on this map, if you look at the longitudinal lines, they're kind of curving up from the bottom to the right at the top. All right, so due north is not straight up and down on this map. Due north is kind of at, a, at an angle, maybe a, you might say a, a, a 45 degree angle. So we're going to go from Israel and we're going to go east, but we're going to go east in a... Um, latitudinal direction that is kind of going on our map from uh, northwest to southeast, all right? So if you can follow my cursor, here's Israel. We're going to go through Jordan, and then Iraq, Iran, then maybe hit Turkmenistan, Afghanistan, Pakistan, and then uh, there's China. And China, there's Mongolia up there as well. And then China, you go all the way out here, and John knows this territory very well. Then we have North Korea and South Korea over here, Tokyo and Japan here. And uh, uh, the Philippines, whoops, there we go. Uh, the Philippines, Manila right here. And then uh, where Lori, uh, lived with the headhunters in Borneo down here. All of this, all of this 
is likely to be countries composed in those forces coming in from the east and going over the passing through the Euphrates River once it's dry. Do you see, can you think of the massive amount of troops when you get, uh, you know, the Iranians, the Afghanistan, uh, Pakistanis, uh, China, uh, Mongolia, uh, maybe uh, Korea, Japan, perhaps, Manila, Taiwan, uh, Malaysia, Borneo, Indonesia, all of those, India, all of those countries are going to come a knocking on the door of Israel in that final battle, and they're all going to stage in the same place. So I'm just trying to give you a sense of the mass of geography representing the mass of people that are going to be coming at Israel all in, uh, in the same time. All right, so here's the summary uh, based upon our uh, investigation of Ezekiel and Daniel in the last half of the tribulation period. The probable countries in the last uh, final battle, the forces that head towards the Middle East thinking they're going to be attacking the Antichrist, where they're going to wind up battling Jesus Christ and herself. It's Russia and her allies from the north, Egypt and her allies from the south, over here, and then these, um, these forces from the east. Okay, let me go back to verse 40, and let's just review, having that knowledge in our minds, and I'll keep the map up there if you want to look at it. Then at the time of the end, the king of the south will attack the king of the north. The king of the north will storm out with chariots, charioteers, and a vast navy. He will invade various lands and sweep through them like a flood. He will enter the glorious land of Israel, and many nations will fall, but Moab, Edom, and the best part of Ammon will escape. He will conquer many countries, and even Egypt will not escape. He will gain control over the gold, silver, and treasures of Egypt, and the Libyans and Ethiopians will be his servants. But then news from the east and the north will alarm him, and he will set out in great anger to destroy and obliterate many. He will stop between the glorious holy mountain and the sea and will pitch his royal tents. But while he's there, his time will suddenly run out. No one will help him. So remember, the Antichrist originally strikes these treaties. He turns really ugly halfway through it, year 3.5. And Egypt, the king of the south, and her allies attack Israel. They'll be joined by the Libyans, uh, and they are, as you uh, can see here, uh, here's uh, Egypt. The Libyans are just west and northwest of Egypt, and uh, northern Sudan on the border of Egypt, just on the south. The Libyans and Nubians, by the way, are also referred in the Bible as Put, which are the Arab nations, and Kush, the nations in and around the Persian Gulf. Let me bring up, and this is inter- the, the, the Persian Gulf, because we hear a lot about that. So let me just take a, um, let me quick, take a quick departure here and show you who we're talking about in terms of the Persian Gulf. Okay, here we go. All right, see that okay? All right. Yeah. Yeah. Here's the Persian Gulf states. UAE is the United Arab uh, United Arab Emirates. Omar, Oman down here. Oman, United Arab Emirates, and then uh, Saudi Arabia. Qatar. I don't know why they call it Qatar. It sounds more romantic. Mm-hmm. Qatar, right? But they say Qatar. All right, so we have Oman, United Arab, uh, United Arab Emirates, Saudi Arabia, Qatar, and then this little country of Bahrain right here. And then we go up, there's Kuwait, Iraq, and Iran. Those are the major Persian, Persian Gulf players. So when we hear about 
the wars of the Persian Gulf, Oman, United Arab Emirates, Saudi Arabia, Qatar, Bahrain, Kuwait, Iraq, and Iran. Uh, those are the, the main players uh, in the Persian Gulf. So as Israel faces an attack from the south, the king of the north, probably Russia and her allies, launched their attack as well from the north. So Israel is facing attacks from the north and the south. And uh, so the Antichrist, now he's got his hands full. He's battling Russia from the north, Egypt from the south. And, and then he moves his armies from his European base to Jerusalem. And he sweeps through many countries like a destructive flood on the way to Jerusalem. He'll conquer many countries, says verse 42, and even Egypt will not escape. He will gain control over the gold, silver, and treasures of Egypt, and the Libyans and Ethiopians will be his servants. But then the tide begins to turn. God dries up the Euphrates River. An advancing army comes from the east, and we talked about where they're coming from, China and all those countries in between comprising, uh, as we learned from Ezekiel, over 200 million soldiers from the east. And then there's more coming from the north. So ant the Antichrist has uh, got a tiger by the tail here, so to speak. He makes Jerusalem his base of operations, and he sets himself up to be worshipped, not as a god, but the god of the entire world. But the one world government, the one world religion are about to fall as Jesus Christ touches back down at the second coming on earth, and he will destroy all of his enemies, including punishing, as you recall, the Antichrist and the false prophet. They are not obliterated. They're not killed. Uh, he throws them into the lake of fire, uh, which will ultimately house the, the devil as well. All right. So just to review the last two verses here. But then the news from the east and the north will alarm him. He will send out in great anger uh, to destroy and obliterate many. He will stop between the glory, uh, glorious holy mountain and the sea and will pitch his royal tents. But while he's there, his time will suddenly run out and no one will help him. All right, where is this staging area? Where is this place that they will be staging? Well, if you recall, uh, for the battles of Armageddon, they are staging in the Valley of Jezreel or Megiddo. And can you see that there? Yeah. This valley right here? Okay. Uh -huh. Jerusalem is down here, right? Here's Mount Carmel here. Here's the Sea of Galilee. Here's the Jordan River. The J Valley of Jezreel. This is the, the Valley of Megiddo. Uh, this is where the armies of the world are going to gather. And this is where the final battles uh, are going to take place. It's the staging area for the forces that culminate in the final battle of Armageddon. And that's where we end Daniel 11. Wow. Phew. That was, I, I know that, I hope I didn't lose you. I know that's quite a bit of information. I hope the maps helped a little bit. They helped me. Uh, yeah, in, for sure. In order to yeah. visualize and to be able to, uh, uh, to see where we're going. So any, uh, any questions at, <laughs> at all before we move to Daniel 12 next week. This is a cliffhanger, uh, Mike. What a place <laughs> to leave us. <laughs> I know, yeah. It's like uh like Fascinating. Soap operas. Fascinating. It, uh, it how is. many chapters in Daniel? I forgot. 12. So yeah. we just have so one more have to go. One more before you go on hiatus, right? Right. And it's only about what 13 verses i think uh not real oh. long uh -huh. yeah and so what there's a possible what do you anticipate how many weeks at most two maybe one 
uh-huh, that's what I was thinking. It yeah. should well, we may finish next week. If not, it will definitely finish the week after, which would be what August eight. Yes. Yeah. Right. Okay. But uh, yeah. That's so tremendous. yeah, definitely will be done by either on or by August eight, right? Because uh, Daniel Daniel twelve is pretty perfunctory. And uh, in some ways, it's a review of what we already know. But uh, it's, it's interesting to see the dynamics of, of Daniel question. Can you, I mean, you and I have questions, right? When we're reading this, can you imagine Daniel standing there or sitting there receiving all this information? And I got to think his eyes were probably rolling back in his head. And he's going, <laughs> what in the world are you talking about? And in Daniel 12... He has some questions and he's allowed to ask them and he gets, well, I mean, he gets some answers, but not others because, well, I don't want to ruin the spoiler. <laughs> we'll wait till next week. To get that. <laughs> okay. All right. Pastor Mike. Yeah. Um, when you talk about it, uh, the battle's going to happen in that valley. And those people are the ones, the ones you mentioned all over coming together, are going to be in the war. <clears throat> Where are we? I mean, that, that, that is a good question. Where because are we? One thing is, I, I was thinking, you know, we're here in America. And we think the world revolves around us. Right. <laughs> and you just told us it doesn't, it revolves around them is pretty much. Right. And uh, we're just little peons over here. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. That is pretty uh, amazing because we don't think that way. Even people no. that talks about the end of the world, they think it's going to happen downtown Modesto. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, that, that is a very, very good question. And here's uh, as, as perfunctory as I can get in answering it, because it has to be answered on a couple of levels. Yeah. One, if we're believers, we'll be out of the picture. We'll be raptured. Yeah. 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 Okay. That's number yeah. one. Number yeah. two, what about the United States of America? Couple of scenarios. Let's say that we are not yet part of China, <laughs> uh, even though they make pretty much everything we use. Um, let's say we, we are still around as a um, political entity, <laughs> as a political international state yeah. uh, when this happens. Most likely where we are located probably won't be drawn into this conflict. It, it's going to be those who have immediate uh, access to, uh, to Israel. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. So it's logical. And, and it's, it's uh, a lot of this is happening probably by land uh, and, you know, probably with vehicles that we haven't even imagined yet i'm sure there will be aircraft as well yeah uh but so one scenario is too far removed from it we'll know what's going on because you know we have instantaneous knowledge now about what's happening yeah around the world and and uh and such and we will the united states i say we the united states if it still exists will be under the authority of the antichrist uh so we may be a geographical identity, a political identity, but it'll all be under the Antichrist one world order. Uh, so either it's too far away, we're not going to be drawn into it. Those that are closer are the ones that are going to be drawn in. Uh, or we won't even exist by that time as a political state. Yeah. Uh, you know, we'll be either nameless and anonymous part of the new world order or uh, we'll have been conquered by 
Russia, yes. China, some other entity. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Even again, if we hard were to know. Uh, conquered by another entity, we are still so geographically removed. Right. Uh, and, and remember, if you remember back to our, our study of, of Revelation, there's a now, now remember, this is a staging area. Yeah. All right. A lot of the battles happen in and around Jerusalem. Right. And the streets of Jerusalem are going to be filled a couple of feet high with blood. I mean, blood's yeah. going to run rivers. Rivers of blood will run through Jerusalem. And so they're just staging in this area. And the, you know, the, but when Jesus comes back, remember, uh, it, it's a bloodbath. Uh, yeah. he does away. He, he, these nations that have staged in the Valley of Megiddo or the, or the Valley of uh, the, the Jezreel Valley, uh, tremendous bloodshed is going to take place and his wrath, uh, will be visited upon those who align with the antichrist and who oppose God. Yeah. yeah. And then of course, remember that, uh, once he sets foot and he defeats the enemies, sets foot on earth again and defeats the enemies, then he sets up the millennial rule. And uh, we, we get into our study that we did of the millennium and then entering yeah. the new heaven. Remember uh, the new Jerusalem descending from heaven, new heaven and the new earth. And uh, the, the eternal kingdom of God then is, is set into motion for, yes. I would say, all time, but there won't be time which is in its of itself. I don't think <laughs> about there not being time too much because my head begins to burn up. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. 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 So good, good uh, question. You mentioned the new heaven and new earth and I love heaven by Randy Alcorn. Well, I have a new book. It's called forever is the first word. I'm hoping it comes up here just a second. Uh, it's by Keller. Tim Keller. No, no, no. Trip. No? Trip. It's by Trip. Oh, Paul okay. David Trip. Oh, okay. And All right. It is about uh, what is, and I love the book. Uh, somebody did it in a book club. It's being um, <clears throat> uh, thinking daily of eternity. This isn't where mm. we are here. It's not mm. like, oh, you know, I just have to have so-and-so or, oh, I just have to go to so-and-so. Uh, it's, you know, we're here, you know, we are given those desires, but the desires for eternity, it cannot happen here. Right. And it is, a, mm -hmm. if anybody's interested, it's an excellent book to read. It's very, you know, for me, it's uplifting. You know, it gives us hope, especially if you look at, I mean, I... I'm not necessarily looking around at the world, but I do see my life is <laughs> over. <laughs> you know, I don't have as much to go out and get or can go out and quote get. And so um, making me realize it's not about here anyway. It's about right. forever. And uh, so it's an excellent book. <laughs> You Great. brought Thank it to my for... attention when the new heaven and new earth is uh, sort of keeps me going every day. <laughs> Amen. What is the name yeah. of it again, Ann? It's called Forever. Um, forever. Right. Why you can't live without it. Okay. Uh, and it's by, by Tripp? Paul David Tripp. Okay. Thank you. I'll get it. Yeah. Sounds very interesting. Yeah. Okay, any other? Uh... Well, you know, I guess theoretically, if, if we were to be drawn into it physically, there is one way, and that's through Alaska, um, because there are certain times of the year that you can just walk right over between Alaska and Russia. And I guess so that could be the gateway for us to be involved. If we need, if we were to physically be involved, uh, because then, yeah, you know, we could go, we could go right. I mean, we can't go to the 
can't go east. <laughs> that not no landmass, but we could go. We could go that way. That would be the only, you know, if we were again, if we were doing, um, you know, land vehicles, or or, but again, I think you put everybody in airplanes and fly them if we're going to yeah. be part of it. Right. Mike. Is that the book, Ann, on the screen? Yes, it is. That's it. Okay, Forever by Paul David Tripp. Got it. Yeah. See, I got it on Kindle. Um, Francie Byron told me about it, and she said she'd buy it for me. <laughs> but me, uh, I just didn't have it on Kindle, and it's hard to buy a Kindle book for somebody. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. So uh, right. I like to have it on Kindle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's okay, very Lord good. Lori, did you have another question? Was that you? No, it was me, no. Mike. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, Lee. I'm sorry. I think it was, ahead, I think Lee. It was Lee. <laughs> no, I'm just, sorry. I'm just, you know, I try and wrap my head around things. And of course, you, uh, one can't, and especially me. It all sounds like Jewish fairy tales, Mike. <laughs> and yet we know it's very real, you know? <laughs> it's just so... And when I think of our world, like our attacks now are uh, our cyber attacks. That's what, mm. when I think of planes and tanks, we've got one of the world's best militaries, but what we're, what's damaging us is computers. And of course that the Bible was written where bef before that's a concept. So it's really heavy to think all of this is gonna be done by planes and do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, it's uh, it's just fascinating to think about how, uh -huh. because, you, you know, God had to write it to be understandable to the people of the time. And, right. and yet we can see how this can all work. And it, it's a scenario that you can't make up, you know? Right, <laughs> right. I understand. Yes. Totally. yeah. It's just, but, it, but it's fascinating when you, when you think about it. And, um, you know, if I'm wrong about the rapture, fine, I'm wrong about the rapture, but, uh, it'll, it'll be fascinating to see this from God's viewpoint, I think. You know, oh, things think that you, you mentioned airplanes and computers. Well, they, I'm sure they'll take and use technology along with, I do not believe technology will be removed i think technology will be the big it'll just look yeah. look different right <laughs> yeah right yeah yeah i mean absolutely it just it like has to be a big part war. of it it has to be a big part of it if you look at all the countries that are involved yeah so yes it, yes it all, right it all makes sense it can't be the communication has to be computers and that type of thing yeah no, I agree with Lee. I think yeah. that we can see now, having lived through the this pandemic the last year, how easy it is now to um, be a one world order and to now with computers. You couldn't have had it without computers. And yes. uh, the four the four giant tech people no, no question about it. They are, you know, just fulfilling that, um, setting it up for that. No, no question. Uh, because well, the world is linked. I mean, there's no, you know. Right. You think yeah, of the, the, world, uh, the, the world is linked. You think of the two witnesses, remember, that are left for oh, three yes. days uh -huh. on display Yes. on the street and how does the whole i'm i'm sure people of the time you know as they're as they're reading uh john's uh writings the the revelation uh they're thinking really Everybody's gonna the, come how here? can the whole world see these two guys yeah. <laughs> well, well even even when I, in my now. lifetime when i was a kid and a teenager studying it we had no idea how that was mm -hmm. ever gonna happen yeah. uh, exactly. so cnn right. happened yeah. right <laughs> so yeah. now we know yeah so good okay all okay. right well we're almost there team 
<laughs> well, thank you, Mike. It's fascinating, really. It's just fascinating. Yeah, and uh, in, in addition to thinking about how we uh, will expend some shekels to benefit others, uh, think about the next study. And I'm thinking Ezekiel, I'm not married to that. I'm married to Lori, but um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not... I, I'm not hard and <laughs> Thank fast you, on that. Yeah. It's just that Ezekiel kind of is the last piece of the puzzle. Well, Jeremiah to a certain extent. Yeah, I but think Ezekiel, Ezekiel is a powerful part of the end times uh, scenario. And I think, uh, you know, we, we would be remiss if we didn't cover it. So, you know, give it some thought, but I'm, I'm kind of thinking maybe Ezekiel, Ezekiel when, is our next time. Did you say he was in Babylon? Or not? Not. Uh, he, I think he was. But he left. He was one of the groups that left, right? I'd have to go back and double check. I thought that was what you did. Yeah, I, I would have to go yeah, back and double check wet. on that. Okay. Jeremiah never was in Babylon. Remember, he stayed in Jerusalem. He was imprisoned by his own Jewish people. Um, and it was the, the Romans that actually let him out of prison. And then his own people kind of kidnapped him and, and took him to Egypt and assassinated him there. Um, I don't realize that. Really? Wow. Yeah, tra tragic story. Yes. I have a quick question, and you may have answered this before, so forgive me. But are when we come back after uh, sabbatical, are we going to meet in person or still do Zoom? Yeah, thank you for bringing that up. What I'm going to suggest, and this is... Um, partly logistical now that we're going to have four congregations meeting in the worship center. I'm going to recommend that we meet like once a month or once every other month in person. Um, but that we do the balance by zoom and I may even have the microphone open during our studies for those that may not be able to make it personally. A uh, couple reasons. That's a great idea. The w meeting once a month in person is, I think, very, very yeah. good. Because I know Sandra dropped out. She said, I just don't want to do Zoom meetings anymore. <laughs> and some, But the idea that we can connect, I mean, I'm being serious. The idea that we can connect once a month, I think, is a wonderful idea. Yeah, so that's that's the thought. And, you know, again, before we... So give it some thought before next week, because next week may be our last Sunday. Uh, uh -huh. Give it some thought, and we'll explore it. Uh, for me, logistically and practically, uh, to be there every week by two. Um, no. Because of the new I'm, technical I'm things. I, I vote for Zoom. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I like Zoom. So, yeah. Anyway, so and we'll, for you, I like Zoom, Michael. Yeah. I mean, seriously. Yeah. And Lori, it's, really. It, it's so we'll we'll meet periodically, and um, you know whether it's once a month or once every other month, probably no. You can less than that, but well, and if you pick a if you pick a a Sunday like the first Sunday of the month, then you always it'll be know, a regular, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it, first it, Sunday of the yeah, month, we're meeting. We don't have to right. wonder. Yeah. It won't be a floater. We'll know which Sunday we're going to meet. And how uh, long again, is your I'll, sabbatical? I'll is it three months? I'm sorry. I'm. There's a no. I. I would like to probably come back in February. Um because with mission greater modesto and pray modesto once we hit october we're ramping up to the prayer summit right and i run all the background stuff to make that happen <laughs> yeah. and the prayer summit will run january 
I think it's nine through 11. And so that six takes, months. Yeah, yeah, that sounds so, great. Yeah, so yeah. figure round, you know, figure we'll come back first week of February. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. That sounds like a great plan and gives you a little rest and everything. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll still be doing the morning, but instead of uh, 12 hours of Saturday, it'll only be six hours of Saturday, which leaves me a little time to. And you're still doing the radio show, right? Uh, yeah, for far as I know. Okay. Yep. And, and that uh, it's a, the contract renews January 13. Yeah. Yeah. And it's an automatic renewal unless one of us says time to go. Um, right now, radio station and the powers that be are very happy with it. So we'll, we'll probably continue with it. Good. Good, Mike. Well, thanks for the feeling. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, let's see. Uh, Anne, would you close us today? Okay. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, I just, um, I just thank you for your word. Uh, I thank you for uh, giving Pastor Mike the desire, the time the skill to research your word and bring us your word, especially in these books that are a little more complicated. Um, I ask you to continually opening our eyes to see what you're showing us and, um, and that we will recognize the signs that we will know and we will continue being out there in the community uh, showing people your love and um, being open to any help they may need to get to know you. Mm -hmm. um, thank you for this mm -hmm. day. Thank you for this time. And uh, we just love you and bless you in Jesus name. Amen.